also just quickly as we get into our second hour i want to promote as well the optimize your brain program running at the hamilton seventh day adventist church of course that is being run and run by a person that we know all too well here on the radio we play her music and sometimes she comes on to speak shout out kate Gariga. i just wanted to read through basically this program it's it's like a it's not quite self-help it's it's a bit of a mix in between it's spiritual it's self-help it's it's being able to get on track um and let's list some of the things the benefits of this program it says improve and manage your relationship successfully expand your capacity to learn retain and apply knowledge develop originality that is useful to others find and live your sense of purpose set and achieve high goals increase motivation boost creativity, and enhance overall life satisfaction. If you want any of those things, which I do, yes, then I come do. along. Uh, give us a call, 0491-064-669. We'll give you all the information about it. Well, it starts on Tuesday, the 27th of July uh, here in Newcastle. And I will also be in attendance there. I'll be helping run the thing. So you'll be able to to see me there too. So... Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. Do we have some text messages there, Lyle? We certainly do. Okay, the first one is Haiti. Talking about being on the wrong place at the wrong time. This could happen to anyone in ministry. Let's pray for him. And, you know, Lawson and I, when we got this text message, uh, we were having a bit of a discussion about this during the, uh, during the song mm. while it was playing. And it's like, you know, when we were in Ethiopia and we were staying in a hotel in Ethiopia, yeah. you know, the president could have come and stayed in that same hotel and something like this could have happened and where would we be right now? Mate, we'd be strung up. Like... Taken out on the street and lynched right there. Uh, at the same time, we also came up with scenarios because the question went through my mind, why would a 60-year-old overweight American pastor go to Haiti involved in a plot like this? And we came up with some plausible scenarios for that as well. So mm. who knows? Who knows, yeah. Who's this Heavy space? stuff. All right, religious liberty. I'd be very interested to know the specific issues on what the religious items the employer would target and the reason. And, and the reason. So this is in relationship to a story where the EU has passed a law enabling employers to ban religious symbols if they so choose, uh, which would include some religious symbols such as headscarves and so forth that are worn for um, for reasons of morality and because of religious conviction and, and as an act of worship. And so we're discussing, you know, how does this impact on religious liberty? And so, yeah, the question is, it'd be interesting, you know, why would the employer ban these kinds of things and for what reason? Now, to be honest, in the, in Western society, a lot of people find the headscarf to be very offensive. Mm. And I get that. But it's not you that's wearing it, so mm. don't freak out over it. Mm. Let somebody else wear it. I also get that, okay, if this is a machine shop, then maybe headscarf's a dangerous thing. Maybe you should be wearing a hair net instead of a headscarf. You know, there's there's yeah. there's, go, there's going to be some safety considerations that need to be taken into uh, in, 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 into mind in you know regardless of what our, our circumstances are. And of course, are. that's on the person themselves to know the limitations that they bring upon themselves with that's their right. partic- you know their specific yeah. religious garb. Like, then it's yeah. like, oh, okay, well then I go prob- get a different job. Probably can't do this. Yep. Yeah. Don't work on a metal lathe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether it's safe for that or not, but I'm just sort of, you know, throwing that out there as, as yeah. an example. All right, continuing on here, it says, while some may very well be necessary, as we just mentioned, it could very well discriminate, discriminate against any particular religion that the employer does not like. And this is the thing yeah. that worries me is that it opens that door, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, like that religion, so you're just going to persecute the person who belongs to it and it's like, 
You can't wear that around here. And, and this is the thing. It's like uh, I remember we said a couple of days ago is that like communism does away with the um, the fact that men are bent towards evil. Like yes. the system is set up. Communism worked great if there wasn't such a thing as a sinful nature. Exactly. But and this is the thing: it's when you open up these rules that allow some kind of, um, you know, authoritative action to be taken. Whilst, yeah, sure, there might be circumstances as we listed before in terms of safety where it's a good thing. You're essentially yeah, flying door. the door open Ooh. for people's sinful nature yes. to lead to to bullying to discrimination, to all kinds of things. You know, this this law could be left as a safety issue mm. and have nothing to do with religion. Mm. And the safety issue is in this workshop you wear a hard hat, in this workshop you wear a hairnet. Yeah, that's a great point. It's you like know, It doesn't have to have anything to do with it being a religious symbol or not. It's irrelevant to religion. Mm. Mm. The fact that this law, the fact that the more I think about it, the fact that this law targets people of faith, that is a concern. Mm-hmm. And says that the employer can do it based on the, their, their, their faith preference. Mm. Okay. Uh, over the last 30 years, 15% of the Amazon has been destroyed and it will increase as population increases. The time will come when it won't produce enough oxygen to help the world's environment. Just another sign of the times in which we live and the soon return of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what it says in Luke. Where did we read that from? That was Luke uh, chapter 21 or 17, one of those two. It was chapter 21, verse 25, where the Bible says that the powers of the atmosphere will be shaken just before Jesus comes back. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't seen anything yet. Mm. All right. Uh, last night's presentation of Daniel 2 was the best presentation I've ever heard. Wow, big praise. The history prior to Babylon and how it came into power was powerful and it made it easier to appreciate where the empire of Assyria stood in biblical history. Well done. Can't wait till tonight's presentation. Don't send Lyle too many text messages like that. You'll make his head too big and he won't be able to do as well. <laughs> okay, but this is only... I'm 50, only 50% of the presentation. Sharissa is the other half of this presentation. Yep. And Sharissa Tarosian has been doing an exceptionally She's good job. And the, and, the, yeah. and the program would be nothing without Sharissa being on there and yeah. doing the job that she's doing. So, 100%. Um, she, basically, her job is to get on there. She make, She just makes me look good. Because <laughs> he covers all of my faults and mm. just like and... me, <laughs> I don't know that I'd go that far. Uh, this is funny. Okay, so tonight's presentation. Oh, Oof. this is this is from Raphael. He's going to like this one. Tonight's presentation. We're going to mention Jesuits. It's going to happen. It's going to happen tonight. We're going to talk about it. We're going to have some amazing history. We're going to talk tonight on the subject of how will will time end? How is it going to happen? Actually, it's just come to me. We're talking about this pastor in Haiti. He's a Jesuit. Oh, there you go. that solves like every every qualm. <laughs> then it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I, okay, I, I, that, that's a bit of a false claim. I, that was a joke, by the way. Everyone. Lawson's looking at me, and I'm just sort of thinking, okay, I'm taking this a little bit seriously. This is a possibility. Maybe this, maybe this could be the case. Maybe we need to look a bit further because they do take a vow to this day. Yeah, Jesuits take a vow to assassinate heads of state if called upon to do so. And we have evidences of it in the past. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. It's not going to be the first time it happened. <laughs> yeah, that we just think that they're uh, just uh, meek, mild educators. And I think for 
the most part, they are educators. I'm not so much sure about um, Meek and Wild. But they're definitely educators. Mm. I don't know whether they still have, well, they still take a vow. They still, they take the vow. This is the thing. It's like. Still they take the vow. Because uh, I, I remember you telling me you had a conversation with Jesuits. In- it was a friend of mine um, was visiting the uh, Jesuit headquarters in Rome. Yeah. And asked them, do you guys still take the vow? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, actually, we kind of do. <laughs> we take it directly to the Pope. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he was, he was my boss at the time, and, and he knew that I was in, it was a subject I was interested in, came back and told me all about it. It was a great interview. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so now I'm sad. Why? Because somebody agreed with me. They're like, that's true. Sharissa is tops. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she is. She is just, uh, she is just amazing. I'm she gone. does a fantastic job. Mm. Yeah. All right, Bible study time. Let's get into our Bible study. And we are going to talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is the oncoming train. No. <laughs> Not the headlight of the oncoming train. We're going to talk a lot about the light at the end of the tunnel. And as we do, we're going to talk about an experiment that took place in 1957. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got to understand this was 1957. Uh-huh. This was back in the day, right? They don't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to measure uh, the how how much hope can add to a person's well-being. And they decided to measure it with rats. Now, the reason they chose rats, and the reason they often do experiments with rats, is because rats are a creature that shows empathy. In other words, they feel the pain of others. Mm. So when another rat is suffering, a rat feels pain that that other rat is suffering. And they they sympathise and they mourn and that kind of stuff. And so because of that, there's kind of a relationship that they have, you know, their social networks are very similar to human beings, mm. which is why rats have been used for experiments down through history and continue to be used for experiments. And so there was a um, a, a researcher back in 1957 in the United States decided to do some tests to find out, does hope make a difference? And so he took a whole bunch of rats and dropped them all into buckets of water mm. and then waited until they drowned. It was 1957, okay? Uh, yep. Okay, back in the on. day, back in the day. He waited until they drowned and he timed how long it took them to drown and he made an average of that. And the average was that they would swim around for about 15 minutes until they got exhausted and gave up and drowned. Mm. Then he took the same number of rats threw them all into a bucket of water. And as they were reaching that 15-minute mark, because he monitored them all very closely, and they were about to give up, he took them out, dried them off, made them warm and comfortable, and then threw them back in again. Mm. In other words, what he did was he, through his actions, communicated to the rat, you know, when you're about to die, I'm going to rescue you. Rescue is a possibility here. Mm. So he put the possibility of rescue on the table. Yeah, wow. How long do you reckon they swam for? Longer? Maybe like, I don't know, like half an hour, like 45 minutes? Three days. Three days? Just because he gave them hope once. He gave them hope once. That was all. He never pulled them out again. Just once. Three days? 
That's how much of a difference hope makes. Wow. You know, and, and I know people, you know, we were having a discussion here this morning about somebody, you know, uh, who, you know, was, was one of twins and, the, and both twins had a genetic disease and the doctor, you know, both told them they had like 15 months to live mm. and one went and wrote his will and the other walked out and said, doctors, there's no idea what he's talking about. That's complete rubbish. Mm. And uh, 15 years later, you know, 15 months later, one of them died and 15 years later, the other one is still alive. Yeah, wow. Well. We underestimate the the power of our mind, the power of the brain that God has given to us. We don't actually really, you know, the brain is the least understood organism in the world, in 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 anything that has ever been researched and studied. Yeah, we know less about the brain than anything else. Mm. Which is why I really appreciate what you guys are doing over there with that seminar. Uh, what's your seminar called? Optimize your Optimize brain. Optimize your brain. Mm. Everybody just needs to go over and sign up. If I wasn't doing the Digital right now, I'd be signing up for that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but I'm a little bit snowed under with work mm. at the moment. And of course, like as well, just, just want to remind you guys with that too. It's just the information night that's on Tuesday. You can come along. Like anyone can come and just yep. hear it and go yep. like, oh, is that cool? Is that something I want to do? Something I don't if you don't like do. it, don't come back. Yeah, 0491064669. That's the number to call and you can get some info on that. All right, but... Okay, so hope, giving a person hope Mm. is incredibly powerful. Yes. And one of the reasons why we have such high levels, and we talked about this on the N.Digital on the opening night, high levels of depression. Mm. So 11% of the population of the United States were suffering with depression in the lead up to COVID. Mm. Post-COVID, 42% of the United States population is suffering from depression. And amongst young people, that number is 75% of the population is suffering from depression. Uh, amongst young people, one in four have considered suicide in the last four weeks mm. in the United States. Those are massive figures, and those figures only come about when there is no hope. Mm. When there is hope, human beings will swim around forever in those in those buckets because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I know what it's like, you know, when I'm feeling tired and exhausted and just wrecked, and I've got some holiday time coming up. Mm. there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's like, I could have some time off. Mm. And it's just amazing. And it is, you know, an opportunity to, you know, and, and it can keep you going. You can you can run on fumes when there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So when I was younger, um, when I was, I was living in Europe as an athlete and I was under a pretty strict training reg- regime, like basically every single day, wake up, run 10Ks, come home, eat, jump on my bicycle, 70k mountain bike ride, come home, sleep, afternoon nap, and then go to the gym. And those gym sessions are f- that were following like k's of running and cycling, and then I'd ride my bike to the gym. Um, I would be with my personal trainer, and every single exercise would be like, all right, Lawson, you got to do you know ten weighted push-ups. You know, it would be a push-up with like a weight on my back, and I would get to like one, you know, one to go, and he's like one, one. One, one, and, you know, get me to keep doing push-ups. And I remember, like, I'm in agony. I'm, like, dying. But I remember thinking in my head at the time, I was like, you know what? After this, I get to go home and have a shower and go to sleep. And <laughs> I, get, I get to go, like, there's a, there's, I there's get, a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And because, like, you know, you can get so caught up in it and be like, I can't go on, I can't go on, I can't go on. It's like, if I do this, the sooner I get to go home. And so I just do it. And it's like, you know, in a very kind of micro sense. Yeah. You, you, and I, th- I think a lot of people could, as you gave the exam- example of work. Yeah. You can do things that are extraordinary 
to you because then I would do those exercises and then I wouldn't be able to like walk out of the gym. I'd be so smashed. Um, and it's like, man, how did I even muster up the ability to do that? And it's because of hope, looking forwards to something greater than your current circumstance um, and holding out hope is like the word, you know, as the, the saying goes. Absolutely. So let's look at, in that context, let's look at John chapter 14, and we are going to start reading in verse 1. All right. One of my favorite passages of the Bible. Yeah. John chapter 14, as I flick over to there now, and verse 1, the Bible says... Ah, actually, let's not, let's not read there. Let's not read there. Let's not do it. <laughs> Go to chapter 13, verse 33. Okay. okay. We get some context. Let's get some context. Okay. Uh, chapter 13 and verse 33, the Bible says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told you, the Jewish lead, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. Okay. So Jesus is what? 33 years old. Yeah. He's young. His disciples are expecting to spend a lifetime with him. Mm. They've, they've made that commitment and they are loving it. Mm. And then he comes along and says, yeah, I'm going to be gone soon. Mm. How do you think they felt at that particular point? They'd be like, we're just getting st- started. What are you talking about? Yeah. Mm. And pretty gutted, I would think. And particularly because they know, by this point, they know what Jesus is. Like John, yes. uh, sorry, Peter has said to Jesus' face, like, you're the son of God. And there's expectations there that we live under Roman rule. We understand that we live in a big world, you know, 250 million people or whatever the population was at the time. And they're like, we need to go and win them all, bring them all into subjection. Like we need to, you know, restore Israel. And that seems like a work of a lifetime, right? And he's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm leaving, you know, whilst at, Jesus by this point, what is it? He's only traveled at an approximate radius of 160 kilometers. Like he's just walked around Israel a little bit, and he's like, all right, I'm going to leave. They're like, what? <laughs> like, you'd be really, really hurt. Like, you'd be, you'd feel let down, definitely. Yes, mm. indeed you would. Okay, so they're going to be super stressed about it. So then Jesus says something in verse 36. He said, uh, well, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow me later. Okay, so what has Jesus just given them? The, the the commission? Yes. A light at the end of the a tunnel. A light yes. at the end of the tunnel. That's exactly mm. what Jesus has done right here. He's like, yeah, I'm going away. You can't come with me, but you will come with me in the future. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Fantastic story right here. And there's some passages there that I think that we often actually don't even stop and think about the... Mm. There's some full-on implications in some of this yeah, stuff. But wow. anyway, I can't say too much without giving it away. Don't laugh. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, let's go to our Bible study. John chapter 14 now. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And just a reminder, Jesus has made a statement that he's going away. His disciples have become very upset by that. Peter's like, where are you going? And he says, look, where I'm going, you can't come now, but you can come in the future. And so mm. now he's going to go ahead and tell them where he's going and where Jesus' disciples, you and I, Peter and James and John and the others, will be able to go at some mm. future point. Start for us in John chapter 14 and verse 1. If you're listening close to the song that we just had, it's all there. Mm. So in John chapter 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... 
I would have told you. And if I, if, if I have told you that it's so, I will go and prepare a place for you. That where I am? There you may be also. Oh, look at Lawson <laughs> go straight from memory. I was going to say, that doesn't sound like NLT to me. That sounds like Lawson is just uh, looking at me and reciting the passage. <laughs> yeah, it's one that I memorized. Like, I, it's, I think it's like one of the first Bible verses I memorized, like in uh-huh. 2017. Oh, um, and it's like it's ancient a, history. It's there. a bit shaky. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like, Ugh, but it's no. That's that a good wasn't one. a bad effort. That wasn't a bad effort. <laughs> I've never memorized this one, mm-hmm. but I know it off by heart because yeah. I've read it so many times. Yeah, yeah. And it is truly the light at the end of the tunnel. Hundred. Like this is one of the most beautiful things Jesus says. Honestly, yes. yes. Like yes. yes. Ugh. And it's so personal because he says, you know, in my father's house are many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Mm. And, you know, that's super personal language right there. Mm. He doesn't say, I go to a pre- prepare a place for everyone. I don't go to a pre- prepare a place for y'all. Mm. You know, he doesn't say anything. He's like... You. He speaks to yeah. the individual yeah, he's not, here. He's not speaking in the plurality of man. Like, no. He just cares about each individual person. That's right. And what it does show is that he knows us because he mm. can't be preparing a mansion for you if he doesn't know you. Yes. Because you might rock up and it's like, well, I don't like this mansion. This is ugly. <laughs> this is not my style. Like, this isn't an, an open floor plan design. <laughs> yeah, there's too many like small rooms in it. <laughs> And, like, then can I swap with Lyle's next door, you know? Yeah. Um, people people from, like, the 60s and 70s, particularly in Australian architecture, they're going to want little compartmentalised houses. But ours is going to be open floor plan. Oh, absolutely. Massive windows, <laughs> and a view for miles, lots of natural light, all yeah. that kind of stuff. No, nah, it's just absolutely, um, you know, and it will be so interesting. You know, you, you we think about the different styles that, people have really appreciated just over the last 100 years. Mm. Try over 200 years. And, and just within our country. Yeah, wow. Think about the different countries, the different cultures, you know, that people have lived in and what they appreciate as being the ultimate mansion. Wow, there are some people, they're going to be in the, the townhouse, you know, in the city, some people in the, in the penthouse, in the skyscraper, some people in the, the cabin, the lodge by the lake. Dude, it's gonna be so. I know we're just we're just like speculating now because. Well, but but the thing is, Jesus makes it personal because Mm. this is I prepare a place for you, Mm. not for I prepare a place for everyone. And this is for you. And in saying you, he's including everyone, but making it personal. He's making it personal, but also in the sense of of like, what is Jesus about to do? Yes, he's about to go and get on a cross. And I think in that way, more than any other way, he's preparing a place for us. Because if Jesus Ooh. doesn't get on the cross and die Ooh. and then resurrect three days later, Ooh. we there is no place for us in heaven. Like, we are condemned to be destroyed. Like, that is what So when he says, I go, mm. I go to the cross. I go to the cross. He's going to heaven as well because obviously he resurrects on, you know, Sunday morning and goes to heaven. Yeah. It doesn't discount that. And because and I, I, I feel like this is one of those promises that has like a bit of a dual meaning. You know, we read Matthew 24 and we're like, oh, yeah, it was 80, 70 and the end of time. And here we read and we read the cross and we read Jesus' second coming. Because there was a first coming. Well, he's here with the people. There was kind of like a second coming within the first coming, if you know what I mean, that he got on the cross and died and resurrected and came back to them. 
And he's making the point like, hey, I made, I prepared a place for you. I gave everything for you. I came back to you and I'm here with you now. But then he makes that, you know, an extended reality for all the Christian believers that, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to heaven, you know, to be your intercessor, to prepare a place for you, to give you hope, you know, of my second coming and a return, but of of an eternity with me in the perfect place. It's powerful stuff. Absolutely it is. Mm. Okay, let's read on a little bit further here, uh, where I, uh, verse uh, 4 through 6, you can read that one for us. The Bible says, And you know the, the, um, the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So here's the light at the end of the tunnel, and some people say, well, religion has been invented because humans need to have a light at the end of the tunnel. If that is the case, and because modern science has discovered how badly we need a light at the end of the tunnel, isn't it interesting Mm. that Jesus knew about that 2,000 years ago? Mm. I'd say that's because Jesus was God and Jesus knows all things, Mm. and he knows the promises that we needed to have. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Question of the day. All right, well, our question of the day is kind of a continuation, or basically, well, it's, so, it's the part of the question I didn't have time to get to. Yesterday. Yeah, basically, there was a question yesterday about God and His gender specifically, and and you did a good job in answering that. But one aspect of the question which you didn't answer was, um, if we take God as a He, like the Bible says, then we must say that only men are saved because there are texts that refer to man and not women as well. And by the way, they, they were saying that um, this person was asking the question because their friend's perspective was that, and they wanted to clear that yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, sure. They want some, want some thoughts on that. Okay, so here's mm. a little bit of etymology for you that you might not be familiar with. Uh, the word man never used to mean uh, a male. Mm. Uh, the word man, the word for male used to be were, um, and the word for female used to be with. So you had were and with, and if you added the word person to the end of that, so a were person is a male person, a with person is a female person. Mm. And the word for person is the word man, M-A-N-N. So a were man was a male person. A were uh, a, a, a with man was a female person. Mm. And we still have those words still exist. Uh, a werewolf, for instance, is a man-wolf. Um, so that sort of has carried over from those days. And, of course, uh, the with man has become the wife. That's the word we have for wife today. So there's, there's still a little bit of carryover from that. So the word man originally uh, used to simply mean a person, and that's the context in which you find it translated in the Bible. Um, and so you'll find you know, mankind is talking about person kind or humanity. We can simply read that as being humanity today. Now, the issue here is not so much with, you know, because uh, obviously the, the, the pronouns that God chooses and asks us to address him by are male pronouns. And so if that's God's preferred pronouns, we should use God's preferred pronouns. If you're ever going to uh, want to uh, have motivation to use a person's preferred pronouns, then, you know, that's how God addresses himself to us. So what right do we have to change that? The issue with salvation, of course, has got nothing to do with the pronouns that God chooses or the origins of the words, or even the words that are used, the question that then comes up is, 
are women just as equally saved as men? Mm. And so what you'll find is a multitude of examples in the Bible where the Bible talks about the salvation of women, the baptism of women, and so forth. I'll give you one example, and this comes from uh, Acts chapter 2, where the Bible says, then they, then they gladly received the Lord and were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So that's interesting. They've got a massive uh, baptism taking place here. And 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. And the Bible just simply says 3,000 souls, mm. 3,000 people, 3,000 persons. Then the next time they have one of these uh, big baptisms, you know, you cross over to uh, the next chapter, chapter 4, or is it chapter 5? I forget which one it is now. The Bible says, and they had a big baptism, and there were about 5,000 men plus women and children. Mm. And so the second time around, they didn't have the capability because the numbers were somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 to count everyone, everyone that was baptized, and so they just counted the men. Mm. And that's very much a cultural thing. And this is also another interesting point. I'll come back to this in just a moment. But the implication here, of course, is very, very clear that there were just as many women and children that were baptized on that day as there were men. Mm. Uh, so this has got nothing to do with, you know, no, the Bible doesn't exclude anyone from salvation. That's kind of, yeah, how, how do you even come at that? I, I don't know. Mm. Um, just because God chooses to use male pronouns, does that somehow exclude you know, and, and use the word mankind, which of course comes from humanity. It's simply the modern translation of that is humanity. Mm. Okay, uh, where did we go to? Um, well, okay, so the next thing is, why does the Bible speak primarily in a male context? Mm. Um, and you'll find this is very much a culture of the times in which the Bible was written, and the Bible was written over a 1,400-year period, and the culture didn't change during that period. Interestingly, what you're going to find is that the Bible is written to reach as many cultures as possible. Mm. And this culture, with the man having you know a, a, a primary role in society, has been a culture that has existed for 6,000 years and still exists with the majority of our world right now. Mm. Doesn't exist in Western society. I get that. And we have a very strong pushback against that happening. But the Bible was written so that it could reach the most amount of people. And so you've got this tiny, small pocket of society right at the very end of time who suddenly get offended by it and are worried that the Bible says this. Uh, and But they are a very, very, they're just a micro, a minuscule percentage of all of the cultures that have existed on the earth. And the Bible is written for all people for all time. So mm. um, it addresses humanity in a way that the vast majority of humanity is going to understand and relate to. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.